Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast with Simon Cocking, Senior Editor. I'll be doing a series of interviews with people at the cutting edge of green tech, clean tech, and anything else that we think is interesting and worth listening to for you guys, our listeners. Today, uh, we have somebody that I'm uh, very excited to talk to because the last time we featured them, uh, we just did it by text, so we had an automated voice, whereas this time, we're actually going to get their voice. So, um, who am I talking to today? Nell Kruger. Awesome. And so we featured you before uh, reflecting on your time on Cape Clear and, well, I guess lots of things. And so uh, it seemed an interesting time to have a chat with you because uh, after a long time in Switzerland and Ireland, you, you returned to live in the States after a, a gap of, was it, was it 50 years? It was 50 or 51, um, but actually we had one year of Chuck sabbatical living in the states during that time mm -hmm. so 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 what's it like to return to a country that you haven't lived in permanently for half a century <laughs> it's like moving to someplace brand new uh it's very interesting simon because in 50 years not only did the country change but so did i <laughs> and uh yeah i i think that because of the place where chuck and i are living now which is a it's a full-time retirement community, which also has um, hospital facilities or nursing facilities should one need them, but we've got our own place. We're living a bunch amongst a bunch of people who are delightfully curious, creative, they're activists. Um, I'd say, frankly, that if there's anybody here who's a Trump supporter, he or she probably would not admit it in public. So that make life, makes life seem a little bit like a bubble. <laughs> yeah. But a good bubble. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We're very happy. And I'll be delighted when the uh, election is over and the dust has fallen to the ground and we can all, I trust, move forward in a, in a positive sense. Would be yes, nice. I hope so, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so like I've come across Quakers in Costa Rica and they, they were doing interesting things. Quakers around the place are often very uh, uh, forward thinking in terms of the environment and caring for the land. Um, is the place you are now, are they all Quakers or are they people of similar ideas? I'd say it's similar ideas. The the uh, community was originally started by Quakers about, oh, it's close to 50 years ago now, I'd say. But I have no idea whether the population is half Quaker anymore or, or less than that. Um, I certainly know a lot of Presbyterians, Catholics, Jews, atheists, but I feel as if the the ethics of the place are what I would consider to be Quaker ethics, but I don't like to put it that way because those ethics belong to other people and other religions as well. But certainly stewardship of the land is very important. A lot of people have their own little gardens. There's a work out uh, cleaning the trails in the woods where most of us hike and walk a number of times during the week. We have people who are pulling out uh, some of the invasive plants, which are taking over others on a regular basis. So there, there's a constant eye to what is going on uh, in the world around us, in the physical world. We're certainly also trying to see if we can manage by 2050 to have ourselves carbon free. Uh -huh. um, there's also an awful lot of activity with, with politics. Uh, yeah, which I guess, I mean, you know, um... If, if you get to that that age then you why not express what's what's important to you you know that that, that does make sense 
you know, it, it's interesting. Just after we got here, or just before we got here, um, there was a group started called Way Forward, and it was a um, something that sprang out of the winning of the election in 2016 by Donald Trump. And what they were looking at were things such as nuclear development, um, taking care of the environment, uh, women's health, immigration, all sorts of issues like that, which I would certainly never consider political topics mm -hmm. because they're topics <laughs> involve all of us. And yet it was interesting because when we tried to get ourselves recognized as a committee, some people's response was, ah, but you're all politically inclined. So we just thought it's not even worth having a community fight over it. We were looking for recognition so we could use the photocopy machine with no cost, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we still have um, community-wide meetings. Now we're doing it by Zoom, and we bring in people to talk about common gun sense, about what we can do about the immigration policies as they're happening. There's a, a large food cupboard in the nearby town, which we support. There's a Hispanic community there because we have uh, large mushroom fields and we have a lot of people up from Mexico and some from Puerto Rico to work there. So uh -huh. there's lots, lots to deal with. It's, it's good. Great. I think that's, uh, it's very positive and it's, I've, I've got a few notes that are arising from what you said, so I'll just work through them. And I guess your first one there is, is that the, the personal is political or, or it's, it, it just can't help being political sometimes, even when you just want to do simple things, uh, some people would feel that's political, wouldn't they? Yes, absolutely. And I certainly feel fine. When I left the States, I was, I think, 24 years old. <laughs> so I was not particularly aware of massive divides. I actually grew up in a Republican family, which right now makes me sort of laugh, <laughs> thinking that that would even be possible. Mm -hmm. but there was no difficulty. Republicans and Democrats socialized with one another. They intermarried. If you look at what went on in Congress, they didn't always agree, but they worked across the aisle with one another. And I think that's been one of the, the shocking things coming back is how strong the divide is. It, it's I feel as if it's an us yeah. and them. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it is very much so um, at the moment. Um, and this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is that, I mean, so I studied American studies and therefore, you know, at the time I thought Reagan was pretty extreme or not extreme, <laughs> but prone that way. So, so, I mean, is, is this just cyclical, but slightly amplified by the fact that now with social media, everything happens much faster in real time. And maybe you have to be louder and more dramatic than what went before. Like, are you able to contextualize it and see it within a cycle or, or how, how, how do you make sense of it? I think I thought it was cyclical before. Uh, I can remember when I was mm -hmm. teaching at the translator school in Zurich and I was doing a course um, in the United States from 52 to 92, sharing it with, with a colleague. And he sort of did the economics and the foreign policy and I was doing more of the social side of it. And I felt as if we were, if not cyclical, at least a pendulum back and forth. And yeah. it's always a swing. And rarely did we find a comfortable spot for the country in the middle, but the movement never stopped. And I almost feel now as if we have two pendulums and one is stuck on the left and one is stuck on the right. And it's very difficult. I think it's our hardest job is to learn how to, to talk to one another without being angry or accusatory, I think that's a tough deal. 
Yeah, although I guess in one way, uh, when I look at things in a half glasses, half full way, um, in many ways, uh, so we interviewed someone recently, uh, Brett King, who would say that it's not so it's not really Trump so much as Trump is a manifestation of uh, uncomfortableness with change. And, and so so Biden very recently came out and saying we have to transition to beyond oil. And, and therefore, you know, Trump feels that's something he can win on, whereas most of the world is looking to move into renewables. And so maybe these are the last gasps of the entrenched interest for oil. But it doesn't mean that the future is not coming, you know. I will certainly hope that the future is coming, and I agree with you. I don't <laughs> think that Trump is 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 the problem. I think he's very much just a, a symptom of what's been going on, and I think it's been yeah. building up for for a number of decades. And I think that the Democratic Party, when in power, uh, didn't quite read as carefully as they should have what was happening when when industry, the coal mining, um, car manufacturer. Clothing industries, when those jobs started to, to dwindle, I don't think they realized the necessity to make sure that there was an educational system which was offering to um, kids in secondary school things that they could then go into when they got out of secondary school. And I think that's made things very difficult because there are people who feel as if the rug has been pulled out from under them and that nobody cared about them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like, I mean, there is change, but you have to manage that. Otherwise, this is why populism rises. Um, you mentioned the nature trail. And so you you created one on Cape as well uh, from some of the land that you had. So so what was the uh, thinking and the motivation behind creating a, the, the, the Red Walk? Oh, I have to give, I think we, Chuck and I both feel we have to give full credit to Seamus for that. He was the one who introduced the idea to us. Okay, um, but, but but you but you were receptive though, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the first few days we spent on Cape in nineteen. Oh my gosh, eighty six. Hard to imagine that. Um, we spent our time walking and walking and walking, and we walked just about we thought anyway every place we could possibly have walked, and fell in love with the land. And I think once we decided that we had to make a move and we bought the land first time in 25 years and, and three children into our relationship that we'd ever owned a piece of property um we realized that our joy was the kind of thing that should be shared for other people so it was no difficulty in in thinking that uh, it should open up and for all the people who worried about the legalities of it um i mean we had our own insurance in case somebody had it and had an accident but the, the loop trails throughout the country are also insured. So it's very carefully taken care of. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like it's during tourist season, you know, it, it's used every day. Uh, so therefore, you know, it's clearly a, a valued resource and remains one, you know. And particularly for those people who are coming from some place where they don't have uh, accessibility of land that way. They can't sit up on top of a of a cliff and look out to sea and, and watch a boat go by or see the fast net light or hear it in the fog, watch watch a whale or a dolphin. Um, it's quite something in our world to to have that. So the idea of sharing it was, was very easy. You know, I don't know about Chuck, but speaking for myself, I never felt as if we owned the land. Um, our mm -hmm. name was on a piece of paper and it said it was ours and we emptied the bank accounts to make it ours, but I felt as if we had, what would I call it, um, 
uh, a temporary occupancy. <laughs> and after we occupied, somebody else would, as you well know, um, mm -hmm. and it will continue on that way. But I, I don't feel as if, I, I don't think I ever felt as if it was ours. Yeah, look, I mean, and, and, and I think, although it can be hard to realize that actually i mean you know at the moment none of us are on the planet for more than 100 120 years so you know we never permanently uh, take mm -hmm. a stake on it particularly i mean like if you look at geological time or the time it takes to build the cliffs and the landscape you know mm -hmm. th that that's a blink of a blink of an eye so um mm -hmm. I, I think you're right uh, but i guess not everyone sees it that way so i think it's 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 great that you were consciously wanting to create a path you know I, I think we were lucky in that because I I think we would have missed meeting a lot of people had we not had the land open. Um, not so much that people came to the door afterwards to say, oh, thank you, but we might be have been out walking and we'd meet people there. Or when I was down in the craft shop, somebody would come and say, I just had the most wonderful time walking. And you'd have a chat about what they saw and that would lead to who they were or where they came from. And it was a, it was a wonderful way, way to share stories. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, very, very much so. And like you say, that that always continues. Um, so you mentioned seeing whales. So, 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 so. I mean, you were here for a good while. So, 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 so. What kind of stuff did you see? Did you see whales, dolphins? Uh, what, 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 what would be highlights? Oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a quick answer and say that someday maybe you'll talk to Chuck and get some good answers on that. But um, <laughs> I think the big thing that struck me was. Uh, how can I put it? Um, th those sea creatures are like magic. They're so big. They're so graceful. Um, Chuck was out in South Harbor in a two-person kayak with his mother one day. And they were tootling along. And she said, Chuck, some large creature just dove underneath the kayak. Oh, look, there's one on each side of the kayak. And he said, yeah, that's right, Mom. And he very quietly paddled off. And it was only when they got back to shore that he told her that it was actually the same creature that she was seeing on the on the starboard <laughs> and on the port side. He didn't want to frighten her. And actually, I think it was a, um, oh, gosh, a whale. Um, what am I thinking of, Chuck? The whales that um, don't eat people, the baleen fellas. I've lost the word. But anyway, it was, it was a big whale. And um, it was in South Harbor, and we used to see them quietly swimming around now and again it was a sense of well there you go again recognition that our space here is very small felt like a grain of sand and it was lovely to see some creature that was so big and so powerful and uh, doing its thing yeah and they are very impressive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. go on yeah i'm gonna say with the seals it was curiosity i can remember walking the road um either direction along south harbor a number of times feeling that somebody was staring at me and you'd turn around and look at the harbor and darn if there wasn't a seal head up following just where you were going that was a great feeling <laughs> yeah I, I i think you're right there that generally i find you notice the seal when you realize the seal has already been watching you so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um I mean, and so, so, so you lived on the top of a hill almost, and you would walk down every day. So was that almost like a, an intentional meditation kind of activity to, to not just drive from A to B? 
Now that's a nice way of putting it, a meditational one. I'm not sure we were quite that conscious of it, but we didn't want to drive it unless we knew we had to haul groceries or a can of gas or something like that. It was just, the walking was so uh, in, incredibly inviting as we noticed when we first got there. Um, plus the fact that when you walked, you got to meet people or you'd suddenly get curious and say, oh, I wonder what that plant is outside of Bernie's door. And you'd go knock on the door to ask and you might have a cup of tea or not. Uh, mm -hmm. You'd end up walking down to the harbor to see who was coming in on the ferry boat. When we were first there um, in the 80s, coming in the summer times, we sometimes would walk down for the 215 it was then just to see who was coming in and whether or not there was a car that had been brought in or a new piece of lino for somebody's kitchen floor it was kind of like going to the marketplace. So it, it gave you yeah. all the opportunities to, to see the nature of it all and yet to keep yourself informed about what was going on. Because as you know, at the top of that hill, it's not exactly a crossroads and people are coming through all the time, which we also love. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, and it's funny, isn't it, that like it's it's a small island, three miles by one mile, but then by walking, it, it then makes it a big place again. You know, it's like that fractal that the the the, the more you drill down to something, the more you see the nuances at at a smaller level. So, mm -hmm. so like you you decided for your fiftieth that you wanted to move here, and so you know that's that's the con that's the converse of you know many people saying when I retire I will do this. So so, so did it just come out of nowhere or, or, or was it building the idea to say, I, I, I'm not going to just wait till I'm 65 to do the next thing that I want to do? Like, what was the thinking behind that? You know, I don't know what was inside either of our heads, actually, uh, until I think I've told you the story before. Chuck said to me the day before I turned 49, what would you like for your 50th? And I thought that was really cheeky. <laughs> And so I looked at him and I said, um, I'd like to be on Cape. And he said, you can't be on Cape because you lecture in April. And then he looked at me and said, oh, no, you want to move. And I said, mm-hmm. And I don't know whether I had realized I wanted to move or not. But when he said, oh, no, you want to move, I suddenly realized that that sounded like a great idea. So we put the next, however, okay, that was the day before my 49th. And we got to Cape about a month before my 50th. So we spent the next you know, 10 or 11 months undoing everything that we'd been doing for 25 years in Switzerland and getting ready to go. The idea when it arose, I guess, was why don't we go use the time, the space, the place, our energy while we have it? And 50 looks yeah, like 65. No, I, I think it's, um, it's a fantastically liberating thing to do. And sometimes it's almost verbalizing it is is the strangest and the biggest step and then from that you just work out the logistics um and the rest falls in place after you've surprised yourself by maybe verbally articulating it it seems to be what happened with you yeah i i, I think you're probably right um was that well, i wasn't maybe it was a heck of a lot easier to plan the move from switzerland I'm not sure that when when it started to happen, it was easier in the happening because the container that was supposed to be delivered to the house we were renting for us to fill ourselves uh, turned out to be a soft-sided truck because the containers were all full. And we hadn't bothered to take out any insurance because we knew we were going to pack it ourselves and it was too late to do that. 
So we just invited a couple of our friends to come over and, and help us. One was a pig farmer from the top of the hill. And another was a, a German fellow who was um, into making movies. And we said, Sebastian, are you sure you know how to pack a truck properly? You're into things of the head. And he looked at us and said, I spent three summers in the United States. I think it was the United States. Packing kangaroo meat to ship it from New York to, to, to California. Of course I know how to pack a container. So we had an interesting group of people. Um, I think things arrived several weeks after we arrived. And the interesting thing was that we had to go out to the mainland, unpack the container trucks that were delivered to the pier. We had to unpack it onto the donoree ourselves. And then when we got to the Cape Harbor, we had hired two, tra two trailers and one tractor driver. And we would fill one, one wagon up and he would drive it up to the house and deliver it. And then we'd fill the next one. And by the time he was back, he could drive that one up. It went on all day long. It was a, a very interesting prospect. <laughs> wow. wow. And um, so, so I was told that before you uh, lived in the house, there was a, a brother and sister and their deliveries used to come up on the back of a Shire horse because th there wasn't really even much of a track. Mm -hmm. So so by the time you were here, was it a track or a road? That sounds pretty precarious. It was um, a track and it used to come up. I'm just trying to think of where it went because they couldn't cross the bridge. We had the little bridge put in there down near Doris and Ferdia's place. I'm not even sure where the pony entered the land, uh, but there was a pony and a drag that would come up and then cut down um, to the north of the house and then up around on the east side and, and back behind. And when we realized that we were seriously going to move in, we decided we were going to have to have a road put in and we hired actually somebody from the mainland who had come over to be working on the rebuilding of the pier which had been um hit very hard by a storm in the late 80s and we found a day or two when when he wasn't in in use and he came mm -hmm. down and dug the road out for us it was an amazing prospect uh sitting up what we call lookout point where the 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 uh, stones are set up where you might sit out to overlooking your, your garden. And yeah. uh, we would sit there and have lunch and watch him digging his way up the, the hill. And it wasn't um, anything more than a dirt track until I think something like 2005. Wow. When they were doing some, some, some macadam work on the, on the Island. Gosh, yes. Big changes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, so, so what advice, uh, or tips or would you give to people who are thinking of moving to an island like uh with the benefit of hindsight <laughs> wow i think you have to want to i think i think you need to suddenly find that you've fallen in love with the place and that you're willing to go someplace and not feel the need to, to head for the bowling alley or the cinema or to shop until you drop that you're happy to go fit into a small community, which has lots of little places and spaces for people to fit in if they would like to. And if they sort of have a quiet look before me, maybe they speak out loud too much. Um, we were lucky because when we got there in the middle eighties, life was a lot simpler in rural Ireland. And it was very mm -hmm. easy to find somebody who wanted Chuck to go help with a reek 
or somebody who wanted me to help making sandwiches for some sort of a do. And, you know, I'm not sure how much of, of the metal is still going on. I think we always felt that, that it was when we had a, a gathering, but I don't know how it is just these few years later with people coming and going. Yeah, yeah, I, I think things uh, do change, yeah. I mean, um, they change every place. It's not just Cape. <laughs> By any it's true. Means. Um, in in one of your books, you it, it mentions that your kids thought you were crazy to come and live here, but at the same time, uh, they they all came here. So so did their opinion change over time of you being here and and what they thought of the island? Oh, I think absolutely. I think at one point they looked at us and said, "Well, we thought you were crazy. Actually, we know you are crazy, but we like it, and we like the island." I think they all felt a tremendous sense of of freedom and, and of being welcome. I think people, our youngest looks a lot like Chuck, and I think people would say, ah, we know who you are, if he was walking around the island on his own. Um, uh -huh. People were always so welcome. I can remember at one point calling by somebody's house, and she gave me two little Easter baskets to take home for Meredith boys who were with us on the island one Easter time. They were probably, you know, one in three then. But there was always the desire by the island somehow to connect whoever belonged to us when they came to the rest of the island. And I think the children felt that tremendously. Um, one of the thoughts that has come up as we are all kept apart from one another um, is that one of these days we will all again be able to travel. So where will we all go and meet? And I have heard some people say, what about Cape Clear? <laughs> Which would be a nice idea. Mm. Yeah, I think it's lovely, isn't it? It's 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 a validation that that they clearly valued, uh, you know, even though their parents seem to have a strange idea <laughs> that actually, you know, it, it, it definitely grew on them, you know. Um, I guess, um, so what what were your favorite parts uh, for going for a walk? Like if, if, if you, you know, you'd done them all and, you, and you'd say, okay, I really fancy going to X or Y, uh, which would be the favorite places that you would like to go to? I mean, I know with Chuck's photographs, you get a sense of some of the places, but, but which places did you like to walk to? I think one of my favorite walks would have been going to the castle and then heading across the fields over to, what's it, what's it called, Ardnatruha, out there in the very west where the big blowhole is. Uh -huh. I love loved walking along that part of, of the cliff area there. And I also have fond memories from we, the summer we were there before we bought the place uh, because we were staying at Bernie and Kathleen Lynch's B&B and Bernie's dog used to follow us when we went and he was very unhappy when we would walk out past the blowhole on that little narrow track and he would sit down where it was safe and he would literally whine until we came back. So we got to calling him mom. Um, but that, that's one of my favorite areas. Um, also always loved walking across the top of what was our land over to the old lighthouse. Okay. And then overland um, to the windmills. Mm -hmm. Fabulous way to, to connect the island. Um, we were walking, I think it was between our place and on the, we would have been on the south side of Leonard's, couldn't see any house on Cape at that point. All we could see was the ocean, no sign of the mainland. I think we saw possibly one boat out to sea. 
And the same German friend who packed the kangaroo meat was with us that day. And he took one look around and he said, by golly, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think <laughs> he was very impressed with, with what he saw. So, yeah, no, um, all the walks, Simon, uh, as you mentioned, they change. And as you dig into doing the walking, you learn something new, whether it's it's autumn and you walk a route or it's summertime, whether you're inside a ditch or outside of a ditch, um, it all makes such a difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and different things come up at different times. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, uh, the, so I saw Datura seeds popping up. So um, it's interesting to see some things come up some years and some things don't come up. So did you have that, that you would have things flower one year and not the other year? You'd have, would you have interesting surprises popping up around the land? I think the biggest surprise was the first year after we had, it was Murish Foley came over and plowed the garden because there were, it was just solid ground. And we knew we were never gonna dig it up ourselves. And he came over and gave it a quick plow. And the next year we had, I, I can't tell you what flowers in particular came up. There were certainly um daisies of some sort and oh what's the yellow flower um name's gone but we had five or six different kinds of flowers that suddenly appeared once the ground had been plowed and and, uh -huh. and you know actually at one point i remember when i was mowing grass both north and south of the house or or west and south of the house i remember discovering pyramidal orchids in the middle of the lawn which had never been there for years and so i used to mow around them Pyramidal orchids are very small and they're bluey purpley color. I have the feeling that. Oh, okay. Well, like you say, I mean, that's the interesting thing that you just never really know what's, you know, like that's what I'm saying. I've seen different things sometimes that, mm -hmm. that, that, that I'm not seeing every year. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, we had some poppies, um, but we planted those. We, we got some seed and I remember those coming up. I think it was California poppies. So I'm not positive. Cool. Um, was there anything else that you wanted us to cover from the things that we uh, discussed? Oh, my heavens. Um, I don't know if there is. I mean, I mean, it's the island is just so much a part of our lives still. Um, we're here. We're not great letter writers. We certainly stop and think about it. I mean, I think for for both of us, the opportunity to do a totally different kind of work not to be preparing classes since we were both teaching was an amazing change chuck of course had time to say great i'm not going to read somebody else's books to teach him i'm going to write some of my own and that was a wonderful time for him and i because of that first summer working down at uh, harpercraft for when harper realized that there was that wonderful space in in the barn up next to her craft shop that could be emptied out and turned into another craft room and that got me into pressing flowers and making paper mache doing all sorts of things that had never been a part of my life and i i think that's one of the biggest gifts that we got from being on the island was the idea that you could start anew and do all sorts of different things and that people would welcome you and help you yeah, I, I, like you say, I think it's giving yourself the space to be creative for things to come up that you don't even realize were were possible. Um, and it's almost 
by being here, you take away a lot of the distractions of the things that you do in the more urban area. And, and with, with that space, it's like when they say, when kids say they're bored, you have to let them be bored to go through that, to work out, well, how are you not gonna be bored? And I think as adults, we don't call it being bored, but like you say, it's giving yourself the space to work out well, well, what can I do now that I'm not just filling my time down the pub or something. Absolutely. Um, makes makes a huge difference. And given that when we've spent the first, what, three, four summers there before we moved over full time, we were always trying to figure out, well, actually, we began fairly quickly on, on renovations for the upper house, but we were also starting a garden where we were and trying to figure out what to do since we didn't have any kind of indoor plumbing when we got there and that was uh, an interesting thing our one of our children it was charles i think in new jersey gave us one of one of those little showers it was a piece of plastic with a black backing and you could fill it with water and put it out in the sun for the day and then hang it uh -huh. up over the door and pull the nozzle so we used to shower in the doorway into what's now the addition to the house um it was interesting wow to change to change those habits that one had I think it was also great to learn that you might go down to the pier one day thinking you were going out for a dental appointment or a doctor's appointment or just to meet a friend on the mainland and suddenly there was no ferry and that was really good for uh learning patience <laughs> yeah yeah like you say i mean uh, the, the weather becomes uh, a much more significant thing that you pay attention to when it affects your ability to to leave you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Before before the um, internet came and all the wonderful weather reporting, everybody stayed home to watch the almost just before 9:30 weather on on RTE one, and meetings at night wouldn't begin until the until the weather report was over. It was that important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and, and I guess uh, on, on one hand we're fortunate now that we have Windfinder and everything, but at the same time it's still the weather that determines things uh, and you know everything is planned with an asterisk around weather permitting you know um yes. with, with 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 the pubs um how many pubs were open when you first came here was it two or was there more then no it would have been three it would have been um the club and cotters and uh, patty burks those were the three that were open and we always heard about Dinny's and we always heard about um, Irina Grena when it was a pub, but they weren't open then. So that was already uh, a, a further back in time. Well, yeah, yes, that would have been. And I don't remember how much earlier those two pubs would have been open. And I don't remember whether Patty Timsey had been selling anything other than things like bread and eggs and whatnot. I don't know if he ever had a, a beer available there or not. Um, I'm not sure. We used to, in, in some ways, prefer Patty Burke's. He got to a point where he was open more during the middle of the day. We didn't go down to have a pint so much as we went down to see who had maybe gotten off the boat and stopped to have a pint or whether there was any new news available. Yeah. So it really was that kind of a, a social stop. But those were the only three when, when we got there. So it's funny because it's, it's the way they speak about that there used to be a beach until they built the pier uh, and then the change in the water washed the sand away. It would sound like it happened just a few years ago, but things kind of get stored, I think, in almost the local history knowledge. But, but some of these things actually were 150 years ago. Ab absolutely. I think we had that same feeling, too, of historical knowledge being 
totally yesterday. We heard many stories. I guess it's almost it's almost like an oral history, you know, like you know, um, in in the way that a bit like the Aborigines have the song lines and they and and they they sing their way across the landscape. Uh, there's a similar degree of um, history by retelling, or, or is there? Is, did you find that? I mean, I know in in, in many of the books you talk about. Uh, uh, how different people, like you say, would stop and then explain things to you? Oh, I think people were absolutely incredible that way if you had any curiosity at all. And of course, when we got there, there was, I think, probably no, well, there was certainly no social media going on. And I don't think anybody had a cell phone. I don't remember how many computers there were. People always had more time to talk. And of course, there was an older, group on the island then people from you know mid 60s up to 90 who had grown up with stories to tell you about taking the laundry over to Loch Errol and and doing it of a morning when the sun was shining and the women would would go with their donkeys and be, because the the wet laundry was too heavy to carry back they would spread it out on the furs around the, the lock and sit down and have a day together and you would get stories like that Sometimes when you were taking a bus trip with a group of older people up to, say, Bantry, those are the kinds of stories that would come out. And that was that was wonderfully warming. Or the, the men who had been um, sailing on either foreign fishing boats, the big ones, or some perhaps the merchant marine, who'd be gone for months and months and months at a time. Yeah, I, th I think you're you're right. And so I guess... I kind of have maybe one one and a half questions left and but one of the ones is that um like with robin mcfarlane he'll talk about that western europe like the western edge of europe is more connected than people realize it's just by water rather than land so there's no worn paths but but actually from here we're two days from algeria by boat and therefore people have said that the capers and people on cape are actually more outward facing with that up and down sea sea path than people realize. So was that something you found from your experience that, that you were talking to people that, that weren't necessarily insular, but actually had a very outward looking perspective on things? I think so. I think so. Uh, the men who had been only as far as London say to, to, to be stonemasons or do whatever they did, as you said, plus those who were out at sea sailing. Yeah, I think there was a tremendous ability to look out at the world and to absorb in. I can remember when we bought the land and at some point said to my brother that someday we would move there full time. He looked at me and he said, but who are you going to talk with about what? And I said, okay. well, take your pick. It'll be politics. It'll be foreign governments. It'll be the book someone's reading or a poem that was written here on the island 50 years ago, how to bring in the spuds, the cost of, a, of an animal. There's nothing insular about about living here yeah uh, so look it's been very it's been a pleasure to talk to you and it's been very interesting and uh i just want to say thanks for taking the time to, to have the conversation with me with us lovely to talk to you it is so nice to hear your voice um i keep hoping that maybe next spring or summer things will have eased up sufficiently but i'm not going to count on it yet because i don't want to be disappointed but we'd love to <laughs> We hope you enjoyed that podcast and we will be bringing you more across as diverse and interesting a range of stories as we can find. You're welcome to reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn or by email and give us any feedback and let us know what you'd like us to cover in the future. Thanks and keep listening.